I'm Sean McCambridge, Managing Director of Stellar Recruitment. Thanks for joining me on this journey to uncover the secrets of inspirational leaders. The reason I put this together is to share the unique journeys of these successful individuals and really unpack how they've achieved success and hopefully inspire others to do similar things. So thanks for tuning in and listening, and I hope you enjoy the series. Welcome, Phil. Thanks for joining us here today. Thanks for having me. Just to start, I just want to ask the question, who is Phil DeBella? Where did it start? Who are you? Mm. Good question. Who am I? I'm a son of migrants. Um, my parents migrated here many years ago from Italy, Sicily. Um, I was, I'm was i the youngest of three. I was born in Australia. Um, and from an early age, I was, I was taught great work ethics by my parents. Uh, my dad's motto was, when it was hot, I don't go to the beach, I go to work. When it's cold, I don't hide under the blankets, I go to work. My dad worked on Sundays because it paid double time. He came from an environment of Italy being in control of his destiny, where he was buying fruit and veggies from farmers and selling at the markets, making a good living, to coming and migrating over here with the rest of his family um, and their families and working, you know, for struggling to find a job, but then working as a yardsman at the Royal Brisbane Hospital. And he he worked that job like it was like he owned the hospital. Um, I saw the work ethic, I saw the ethos, um, and it really, really built some great values within me. One is obviously the work ethic that I got. The other was to be in control of my destiny, you know, and the whole family values, having great people around you, um, sharing great times, enjoying yourself. They were all values that stuck with our family, um, and they're part of the fabric of who I am today. Everything we're doing is because we want to create great moments. We want to create great moments in our personal lives, in our work lives, um, in our family lives. Um, and if you're creating great moments, I think you have a great, great success story. Because uh, when we pass away, they're the moments that get spoken about. Yeah, 100%. That reminds me of uh, conversation I've had with Justin Langer. He, the cricketer, he, he shares the same sentiments. He said, life's nothing more than a series of great memories. Yeah, totally. Totally. And I mean, you think about it. When you go to a funeral, what's the first thing they talk about? Oh, this person, oh, do you remember when we did this? And do you remember that? And, and, and all the rest of it. And I think, you know, we, we can't learn from anyone that's passed away because no one's come back to tell us whether it's good or bad. Um, but you look around what happens when someone passes away. It's a celebration of their life, um, hopefully. Um, and what are they saying about the person? You know, it's, it's what they say. Your brand's measured when you leave the room, not when you're in the room. What are people saying about you when you walk out the room? Um, you know, when you walk out and you check out of life, whenever that moment is, what are people going to say about you? Yeah, so some excellent values there, I think, from that family network. You, you've finished school. Talk me through your vision. You're a tenacious guy. You've, you've uh, got ambition. Mm. You know, what's your vision on Phil DeBella's career as a graduate from, mm. from school? Yeah, my vision's always been around solving problems. Um, I've always said that if problems exist, there's a solution. And if you could master in the art of providing solutions through whether it's a product or a service, um, there's always going to be demand for you. And to me, a key word's always been relevance. You need to be relevant. And I see businesses that fail or businesses that start um, and you ask them, how do you think you're going to be relevant? Um, a good way to look at it is if you actually died, who'd miss you? Um, if you were to pass away, is anyone going to miss you? Um, if your company shut down, is anyone going to miss you? Is your service shut down, is anyone going to miss you? And, and I always started with that in mind, um, always have. Um, I was always brought up to question things. Um, so I'd always ask the three whys. Pretty annoying for the people around you when you're a young person. But, I mean, this is the beliefs that I, and values that I went through. Um, so when I finished school, 
um, I, you know, I, I asked the three whys of myself and I knew that I couldn't just go out and start my business. I had to go and work and, and you know, and cut my grass, so to speak, in a place that um, I could, you know, develop my skills, my attitude, um, test things um, and see what, what the future lay. But I always knew I wanted to be in control of my destiny and I always had a vision of whether it was working for somebody or running my own business that I was going to be um, doing something that solved problems. So you... You have this vision, you have this ambition, you work for a few or, or maybe one or two uh, small to medium companies mm. and you're being successful working for someone else as an employee. Yes. Then you decide to get $5,000 somehow, some way and start your own business. Talk mm. us through the moment when you thought, this is it, I'm doing it. Yeah. And talk us through your emotions at that stage. Yeah, look, I was working for somebody, I was allowed to be quite entrepreneurial, I was making good money for them, which in turn meant I made good money for myself. It's one of the beliefs I have now, is that you, there's, you, don't, need to be, you don't need to go and start your own business to be an entrepreneur. Um, as Branson puts it, it's called an intrapreneur. Um, you can be very entrepreneurial in working for someone. Um, I go one step further and talk about your personal brand. So I was building my personal brand when I worked for um, Cosmopolitan at the time in the Valley, which was a small business. Um, you know, I was I was building my brand. I took the opportunity uh, and the freedom within and the autonomy of that role to be able to make the owner a lot of money, which in turn meant I got looked after financially. But more importantly, I was building my brand. I was building my personal brand um, that obviously when I went out to the market, proved me, you know, helped me a lot. But the point at which I made the transition was the point that I had explored every avenue where I was working and there was no future left. So I'd hit the ceiling, there was nothing left. And the point at which I decided, yes, I'm going to do it. And again, as Branson says, screw it, just do it. I don't believe in being that frivolous. I don't think you'll find many entrepreneurs, successful entrepreneurs that have gone out there and risked everything. Um, there'll be a few, but most entrepreneurs take calculated risks. So my, my, point at which I knew it was the right thing to do is when I got comfortable with my worst possible scenario and it's you've heard me say it many times it's something that I talk about now it's my risk management plan it's my go-to what is the worst possible thing that can happen right now um, and if I'm comfortable with it nothing's going to stop me and in that case I had a house paid off I had five thousand dollars spare I wasn't going to sell my house to start the business so this isn't one of those stories oh he sold his house and risked it all no I didn't risk it all I had a house paid off, I had $5,000, I was only prepared to lose 5000 One of the best moves I ever made, because it wasn't about the money that made the company successful. It wasn't about, you know, most people, startups, they go out and crowdfund. And, and one of the key lessons I've learned through that journey and at that point was, you've got to get pretty innovative when you've only got $5,000 to play with. So I didn't have the money to buy a roaster, so I went and used somebody else's roaster after hours and paid them until I had the funds to buy my own. I had to plan very carefully where I was gonna use those dollars. I had to get people to believe in me because I didn't have the money to pay for other staff. So I had to be quite innovative in my branding, in my strategy, in my approach. And it was, you know, it, it taught me a lot having to be limited with those resources. And thus why I say now, to me, the great entrepreneurial thinkers, because I don't like entrepreneurship as a title, to me it's an intelligence. The great entrepreneurial thinkers go about doing things different and better than anybody else, but more importantly, they know how to create resources. And I think one of the things that don't get taught or get influenced by people is this, the latter part. Entrepreneurial thinkers create their own resources. They're not waiting for handouts. They're not waiting for other people to provide solutions. They're the guys that are out there making the solutions, creating the resources. Some great points there. I want to take that a step further. 
how would you define your leadership brand and what are those attributes that you believe have been pivotal to your success as a leader yep. and, and why people choose to follow you? So it's all about them. And in order for it to be all about them, I need to know them. I mean, Steve London wrote a great book called Ubuntu, U-B-U-N-T-U, which is all about culture. An amazing book that talks about how to get the best out of people by understanding you know, people and their families and what's going on in their life. So that's how you get that family community spirit. That's where you get this people wanting to work with each other and what can they do for each other rather than what they can take from each other. And that has to be the clincher is that if you said describe the Bella culture in one, you know, one paragraph, we have an amazing culture here that's all about what I can do for you, not what I can take from you. And that then resonates onto the customer. And that's why the accolades of, you know, BRW's number one private business in the country for customer service and, and, and all the rest of it. And our actual number one selling tool that's made us number one in our industry has always been service. Because you can buy a bag of beans from anywhere. It's the service that sits behind it. And what sits behind the service is the values of the organization. What sits behind the values is its people. So you've always told me that you've learned the most from the customers that choose not to use Tabella. So how important is the customers being, you know, the ones that maybe don't choose you, the ones that do choose you, mm. and defining where your business needs to go, what customer service needs to look like? Yeah, correct. I mean, so you constantly, I believe in constant evolution, and you just have to look at some of the organizations out there that have failed that were number one because they didn't evolve. We don't spend a lot of money or virtually no money researching our current customers because we should already know why they're our customers. Of course, we have conversations with them. We're meeting with them regularly. Again, I travel the country and meet with them, ask them about what's happening and the rest of it. But when we're actually going out from a strategy point of view, we want to talk to the people that say no. And when we identify why they say no, we start to build strategy. So we've got one of the strongest online platforms in the country that came out of asking people why they buy coffee from a supermarket. And it was convenience. And they buy coffee from a supermarket because it's convenient. Well, how about if I sold you fresh roasted coffee Factory prices delivered to your door free of charge. Oh, I'd choose you in a heartbeat. Fast forward three years, we've got one of the strongest businesses online because they know that they can log in, debellacoffee.com, and buy their coffee fresh roasted direct to their door, home or office, at factory prices. And they're getting the number one specialty brand in the country for nothing dearer than what they're buying already from a supermarket. That was all about solving problems. That was all about researching people that didn't choose Debella. It's fantastic. We've talked a lot about some of the positives and all the rest of it. Uh, no doubt, like anyone, you've made some mistakes. You've faced some challenges, some tough times. Can you talk to us about any of those challenges or mistakes and, and what you've taken from it? Yeah, of course. Well, what I've taken from it is simple. If you're not pushing hard, if you're not making any mistakes, you're not pushing hard enough. Um, you know, and that's a given. And 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 with that comes some mistakes. And and the way you combat the mistakes is always open dialogue. So the way I've always been able to get around it is to always have open dialogue with my team and have conversations with my team, make them part of the journey. And one particular one was when we were growing so fast that we didn't take care of the back end of operations. And the back end in this case was our computer systems. Um, we were running QuickBooks. Um, we, we were neglecting what was going on in the back end. We kept putting on and onboarding new customers. We did that fantastically well, um, all the rest of it. And all of a sudden QuickBooks crashed and we had to upgrade. And the upgrade went from QuickBooks to SAP. And it's like going from, you know, a Holden Gemini uh, to a Rolls Royce. Uh, it was a total kettle of fish. It was very expensive. We had to get people to, to train. It meant we had to stop growing so that we could all learn the system. And it was simply put, we did not monitor or look after or care about the back end. And to use an analogy that I use all the time, 
that someone that everyone can something everyone can relate to is imagine walking into a hundred seater restaurant. There's only one chef in the kitchen, but there's ten staff at the front, and they take everybody's order at once, and they put it into the kitchen, and the chef has a meltdown and walks out. Um, and that's what happened. QuickBooks decided to walk out on us. We were lucky we had some good customers, so um, our, our collateral damage was limited. But what I learned out of that is make sure that when you grow, the back end is meeting the front end and make sure that the front end is meeting the back end. Talk to me about intuition. Mm. You're an intuitive guy, entrepreneur is mm. intuitive by nature. What role has intuition played in mm. your journey? Intuition to me is a byproduct of um, putting yourself in the right environment. You've, you know, you, the more intuitive people are the ones that are, uh, you know, another way to call it is worldly, that travel a lot, um, that, that speak with people, that have great peripheral vision, um, not just the ability to look straight, but look, look around them. Um, I think tuition is like, if you put in a formula, it's, it's, a, it's, it, what equals tuition is a lot of different facets and and the facets are you know the, the environment um, the people that you're hanging around the um, whether you're traveling uh, whether you're reading uh, whether you're listening to podcasts whether you're watching webinars um, whether you're researching businesses that go wrong as well as researching those that go right um, the more variables that you put in front of that equal sign I think the greater the intuition um, but if you're running in a narrow-minded you know blinkers on scenario i think your intuition is going to be a lot less i couldn't agree more and i think some people say that your intuition is only really accessing your subconscious knowledge or experiences right mm. and you don't know it to be conscious mm. but based on your experiences your learnings your your history you're drawing on that correct right? correct correct so, I, I, and and your intuition is you're fine you're going to need it most when you don't even realize you know that's that's when it's going to come up and it is totally subconscious i'd love to understand how phil Debella define success because mm. as you know it's something that I'm uh, I've struggled with and, and maybe haven't done a tremendous job of defining always mm. keep pushing to the next thing the next thing mm. um, how do you define success look success to me simply is being able to achieve the goals you outlay for yourself and um, as you know the YPO network's fantastic you go okay what do I want to achieve personally what do I want to achieve from a family what do I want to achieve from a professional um, point of view yeah you know I'm, I set those goals every year I they change sometimes throughout the year and you know what I used to think that success was achieving 100% of them. Well, I don't think I've achieved 100% of all of them in one year ever. Um, as you know, I'm now working on my weight issues, um, you know, where I've just never been able to give it the focus. Um, it's not that I'm not successful. It's not this, it's not that. I don't make any excuses for it. I have not had the time, not had the time, but I have not devoted the time to doing it um, for whatever reason. No excuses, no parking it, and therefore I'm not getting the results. Now I started this year and said, right, 100 days of, you know, movement, clean eating, all the rest of it, and the results come. But what am I sacrificing for that? Well, I'm sacrificing something that I can now, you know, which is I'm not working as hard on the professional side. I'm still working hard, but not as hard. So something's got to give. It's not about balance. It's about harmony, which is something you always hear me saying. You, your life's got to be in harmony. So when I'm kicking butt as a husband as a father, as a son, as a brother, all the family aspects, and I'm kicking butt in professional with all the business elements and people, then the one thing that's suffered over the years has been me, and more in particular, my weight. When I've been able to put, you know, and I in the past I have been fit, healthy, and, you know, a lethal weapon as they call it, you know, but guess what? I didn't put the effort into family. It was work and me. So I looked amazing, Business was amazing and family was not amazing. 
Um, and I think people need to understand that because that's what I've learned. And I'm still learning. I'm only a young boy. But um, you, that harmony is so important. But you can't give all three areas of your life. Well, maybe you can and you're superhuman. I don't know. But I'm not superhuman. I can't give all three areas the same attention at the same time. What are your What are your tips on how to manage that? Because I agree. I wrote a blog recently on is ambition healthy, and I believe it is. But there's also a downside to ambition. So mm. reflecting back on your journey, what are your tips for for trying to maintain that harmony? Because it's tough, right? Yeah. Well, look, ambition is good, but it's one of those loose words, Sean. You know what? Because your level of ambition is different to my level of ambition. What you see as success is different to my success, and that's why there's no book on it, even though people try to write it. There's no bestseller on it because if someone had found the magic formula, everyone would be following it, right? To me, what's important is clarity, to have that clear vision of what you want to achieve in all three areas. So, what exactly is it as a father and a husband that I want to be? You know, and this is where Gerber comes in. You know, um, Richard, I think it is Richard Gerber book E Myth, where he talks about what do you want people to say about you when you die. Now it sounds quite morbid, but it's not. There's another one called The Dash, which says the same thing. The poem, The Dash, which is what do you want that dash to represent in your life? You know, and I look at it that way, very simplistic. Again, I'm a simple kind of person. What What do I want my family to say about me when I pass away? And you know, I want my kids to say, Daddy was a hard worker. Daddy travelled a lot. Daddy, but when Daddy was home, he was attentive. When we were on school holidays, Daddy took us away. Um, when we needed Dad, he was there. When he took us to school, he used to communicate with us. When it was family time, it was family time. But geez, Daddy worked hard. Daddy travelled a lot. But he, Daddy provided for us. So just that little paragraph that I've said is uh, right now I believe I'm successful in that area because I'm doing all that. I'm taking the school holidays off. When I'm with the kids, I was playing handball with my son yesterday afternoon, basketball with my daughter. You know, We then went to the hardware to buy some stuff to fix one of his toys. Um, I was able to do all that stuff late afternoon yesterday. Um, that to me gives me that harmony. I was able to do some reading with them last night. But I just got back from Melbourne yesterday. So I've been away for a week. So being able to do that. So I look at that and reflect and I go, I'm ambitious as a father because I want to be part of their life. But then... Me and my wife, Jana's in the middle of studying. Jana's in the middle of, you know, doing her neuroscience stuff and she's coaches, she's a great mother. So the interaction with Jana and I isn't going to be right now like it was when you're courting or when she's not working or all the rest of it. And that's okay. What gets you through is communication and understanding. It is what it is right now. There's no such thing as the perfect life. And the one thing I don't do and I urge listeners to really, you know, adopt this don't be too hard on yourself. And it's something I think I've told you over the years. Don't be too hard on yourself. Are you doing, ready, magic formula, am I doing the best that I can at the time that it's happening with the resources that I have? And I can't stress that enough. Am I doing the best that I can at the time that it's happening with the resources that I have at hand? And if you can answer yes, yes, and yes, don't beat yourself up because that's the worst thing you can do, right? And therefore, when I take that into work life and I take that into me personally, I don't beat myself up about being overweight right now, especially now because I'm doing something about it, right? The journey started, I'm on the way, on the decrease. But was I doing the best that I could at the time that it was happening with the resources rather than sitting there saying, geez, where did all this weight come from? I put on all this weight, oh my God, and whip myself into a frenzy. Do I look in the mirror and get insecure at times? Of course I do. Do I walk into a clothes shop and go, shit, I wish I could just buy that and it fits me nicely? Of course I do. But 
I come back to my, you know, my, my philosophy of am I doing the best at the time and all the rest of it because I don't believe that you can have all three areas of your life excelling, you know, without some sort of collateral damage. I mean, some great honest answers there. I think some great takeaways there, Phil. How do you relax? My journey in leadership is we strive, we strive, we push, we challenge ourselves, like you say. How do you how do you relax? Because uh, oh, you know it, it's challenging, right? Yeah, it's of course. tough. We put ourselves under a lot of pressure of and expectation. How do you relax? Well, look, I went through a stage, and I can answer that. You know, with honest, I went through a stage of anxiety um, for years and didn't know what it was, and I had every test you can imagine, um, and it was simply put to me: Phil, your body can't keep up with your brain. Your brain's working too quickly. Your body's not keeping up. It goes into shock. So you get, you know, indigestion. You feel like you're having a heart attack. Um, all this sort of stuff happens. How do you deal with it? You learn to see it coming and you adopt some really, you know, easy tools such as breathing. Right? Now, breathing sounds easy, but it's not, especially when someone's telling you to breathe. So meditation's a big one. So I used to, my time on a plane, I used to hate Right, and let's face it when people say, Oh, I don't have enough time, make time, um, or get very creative and innovative with your time, which is what I do. So, on a plane, you know, I don't do any work on a or very rarely, unless I have to, right? But on a plane, the first thing I do is I put the earplugs in, and I'm often um, in a trance, not you know, not in a meditative state. And it takes a while to get there, I've been doing this now for a few years, so I'll get into a meditative state before the plane even takes off. Um, and there's all different types of meditations. There's relaxing meditation. There's gratefulness. There's kindness. There's relieving anxiety. There's all different stuff, which at the end, all you're doing is two things. You're breathing and you're programming the subconscious. And they are the two most powerful things. Again, it comes down to the why, why, why that I have to ask. Why do we meditate? Why does it work? You're breathing and you're programming your subconscious, which is so powerful. Right? So I relax through that. Also, the physical side, the boxing. The boxing, skiing, the, the um, you know, heavy weights. I've gone back to doing heavy weights because the heavy weights really brings it out of you. It, it therefore makes you, you know, your muscles relaxed. Obviously, they tighten up, then they relax, which is a form of meditation as well. One of the ways they get you to relax in meditation is to actually tense your muscles, hold it, and then release. Um, so they're the physical sides, the boxing you know anything that gets that resistance out that enables you to exert that 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 in a you know in a build up, but from a mind, it's definitely meditation. I can relate to that. One hundred percent meditation has been unbelievable for me. And a, and a mentor of mine once said, uh, when stress goes up at work, your exercise or phys- physical activity should correlate that as well. Correct. Not correct, dip correct. off, which correct. a lot of people you know they don't yeah. find the time. So when I'm getting more stressed or under the pump. I find the time to exercise because it's a release. Yeah. So I think there's some awesome very points true, there. Very true. Now you're not old by any stretch of the imagination. You've only just ticked over forty. Um, looking back on your journey, what would you tell that twenty-one-year-old Phil DeBella now, having mm. you know spent the last years building what you've done, achieving what you've done, making some mistakes along the way? What advice would you give that twenty-one-year-old? Oh, look. Um, that. Well, first advice I say is. Just make sure you keep looking after your physical aspect and don't let it get away from you, right? Because tell you what, it's a hard thing, you know, is getting that physical physical side back. Um, but it's to be a bit more conscious through the journey, you know. Um, I look back now and and I'm not as conscious and I wasn't as conscious as I could have been through it. It, it a lot of it was a bit of a blur. Is that the cliche um, about enjoying the journey? Yeah, well, rather than fixated yeah, on. Yeah, I think I, I don't like cliches, even though sometimes I use them. I use them because it helps people understand. Um, 
what does enjoying the journey really mean? I mean, there's some painful times when you're building a business, right? I had 12 months of people saying, no, I'm not buying your coffee. I, there's no way I was enjoying that, I can assure you, right? But I could have been more conscious. I was conscious about it. That was one point I was conscious. So every time that somebody said no, I asked why. And when they said, well, I'm buying coffee and I'm happy with it right now, I had to deliver more than a bag of beans, which is words we now own. It's more than just a bag of beans. We actually own those words, trademarked. So saying enjoying it means different thing. Being conscious, as I was then, yes. But a lot of it, especially as the success started to kick in, um, yeah, I could have been a lot more conscious through it. And, um, you know, conscious is one of the four major strongholds of um, emotional intelligence. So I think I'm quite emotionally intelligent now and have been probably for a, a few years. But I think I could have been more emotionally intelligent, the 21-year-old Philip. And the other thing I'd say is more patience. Um, you know, and I think that's something we'd all do and hard at the time. But I think the two fuse together. If I was more conscious at 21 about certain things, I think I would have been more patient um, and more understanding of certain things. So, yeah, that's definitely, you know, if you said pick one, it's be conscious through the journey um, because that's that's a key element to the emotional intelligence. Yeah, fantastic. Look, we've covered a lot of ground today and you've provided some great takeaways. Um, what other tips or tricks would you offer for aspiring uh, leaders, entrepreneurs? What else would you leave the listeners with? Yeah, look, um, I, one of my favourite lines that I use and it's on my email is, you know, people's limitations are often self-imposed. Um, don't put limitations on yourself. Don't allow others to put limitations on yourself. But in the same time, don't get your ability and capability mixed up. I see a lot of people mixing their capability and ability. We're only able to do a certain amount of things and, to, and you don't have to be on that podium. There's no one reason to be on the podium in the first place is, is probably a good way to finish it. There is no one reason. You know, you've got to understand your capability and your ability and success isn't all about winning. You know, you can have success in many different things and there can be different reasons why you stand on that podium um, with your hands up celebrating success and that's personal. So to wrap it all up, it, you've got to know yourself. Um, I think that there's, it's something that I encourage my nine and seven year old every day is that every day you're learning about yourself. You're learning, you know, from others, you're learning from your environment, you're learning from your mum and dad, you're learning from each other, but it all comes back that you're learning about yourself. And I think that that's a key element that people forget is that the number one thing we should be looking at is that we should be learning about ourselves because the more we learn about ourselves, the better everything else becomes. Absolutely. I'm going to take one last question. What drives Phil Bella? Being better today than what I was yesterday. It's very simple. You know, I, my benchmark is me. Um, I don't, I don't compete with other people. I'm a competitive person, but I'm not. As you know, I'm not competitive with other people. Um, to me, it's about me being the best that I can be, and therefore, what drives me is that when I wake up today, I've got to be better than what I was yesterday. Fantastic answer. Look, Phil Bella, thank you very much for joining us. Some great. Uh, experience is shared and, and very honest at that. So congratulations on all that you've achieved. Well done for inspiring so many people and good luck for whatever comes next. Thank you and I wish you and obviously everyone else listening all the best and hope that they go out and be the best they can be. Thank you.